Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In 1999, Jennifer Love Hewitt was everywhere. She was making hit movies. She was trying to sell us face wash. She was making music. She was having music written about her. She was also a supporting character on a major hit TV drama. As the show in question, Party of Five, was nearing its sixth and final season, Fox saw an opportunity. They could capitalize on Hewitt's fame and give her her own show. And thus, we were given a weird pop culture blip that was the Party of Five spinoff, Time of Your Life. You're in New York now, so you can be whoever you want to be. Monday on Fox, Jennifer Love Hewitt is taking on the world. This is kind of the most important trip that I will ever take. One dream at a time. <sighs> From the creators of Party of Five, a new life, a new adventure is about to begin. There's some good things possible here. Time of Your Life, series premiere. Party of Five was about five siblings who have to learn to live and grow with each other um, after the death of their parents. Jennifer Love Hewitt's character, Sarah, was introduced in the second season and was supposed to be around for only a handful of episodes. She was so well-liked that they decided to make her a main character, and she became the on-again, off-again girlfriend of main character, Bailey. At the beginning of the sixth season, Sarah, who is adopted, finds out a little bit more about her birth mother, and she kind of uses this as a catalyst to basically leave the party of five world for what she says is only five days. But in reality, she's kind of perhaps thinking that being where she is in life is kind of holding her back. In a really heartfelt conversation with Bailey, she tells him that she feels that their life together is holding her back. She doesn't feel like she's 20. She feels like She's someone older and she wants to experience what life is like for someone her age. And so she needs to go. Like I don't have kind of a husband who goes to work every day and comes home where I'm waiting. 
After some discussion, Bailey meets Sarah at the airport and wishes her off on her, again, five-day trip. And this is immediately where we enter time of your life, where we see Sarah being extremely excited to be in New York, so excited that she not only gives an exposition dump to one person, but she gives an exposition dump to two people, some random guy and her cab driver. Now, instead of having her cab driver take her to her hotel, she tells him to take her to her mother's old apartment in the middle of the night in a city she doesn't know. It's while standing outside of this building that she has this weird fantasy about what her parents' lives were like. You know, I, I bet she used to throw keys down to my dad when the buzzer was broken. Maybe they made out on that stoop. Lady, do you mind? The meter's running here. She has the cab driver leave her in front of the building, and then she goes inside and asks the landlady if she can stay there for the weekend. The landlady says yes, because, you know, free money. Um, and she goes to the apartment, Sarah does, thinking that this apartment is empty. She doesn't even bother asking if anyone lives there or if the apartment is actually habitable, like maybe they're doing renovations. But, you know, of course, she's just excited to be there, the city where her mom and her dad met. Surprise, the apartment is rented, and we meet Romy, uh, soon-to-be Sarah's roommate and frenemy, um, who is an actress who is very stressed out because she hasn't gotten any jobs despite being in the city for almost a year. At first, she doesn't want Sarah to stay there, naturally. This is a complete stranger. But eventually, she warms up to it and lets Sarah stay the weekend. Romy doesn't have a working phone, so she sends Sarah across the street so she can call Bailey to let him know that she's arrived safely. There we meet McGuire, another main character, uh, an eventual love interest of Sarah. While calling Bailey, she tells him that she's at her hotel when she in fact isn't, and that everything is fine and a-okay. Oh, would you please stop worrying? She's doing great. Uh, who do you think it was? Some guy that I picked up a baggage claim? It's a bellman. Your mom? Essentially. After this, there's a series of events where she tries to find who her father is. She goes to see Billy, played in a cameo by RuPaul, uh, who says, No, I'm not your dad, but your mom kind of had a romance with this theater director. He's actually someone who still lives in the city. So Sarah goes to this man's office, his name is Archer, and she's greeted by his secretary, played by Rosie O'Donnell. The secretary, or receptionist, uh, says to her uh, that... She will, can leave her resume and her headshot, and Archer will go back to her thinking that she just wants a job, despite Sarah saying that, no, she doesn't, and there's something else she really needs to talk to him about. She learns from Rosie O'Donnell that he, Archer will be going to a benefit that evening. And with help from McGuire, Sarah gets into the benefit. I, I kid you not, from McGuire's suggestion, it says, dress in a nice dress, basically, and have sheet music, because no one will believe that you aren't part of the band if you have sheet music with you. Somehow that works. Uh, she sings a song while being part of the band, uh, and then she notices Archer going to the bathroom. Instead of waiting till he comes out, or maybe talking to him at the bar, or, you know, even catching him on his way out of the, you know, the event itself, she follows him to the bathroom, where, of course, he's kind of like, what are you doing here? Uh, and tries to get her to leave, and then she kind of just word vomits everything about the reason that she's here and who she is and all of that. 
After she word vomits everything, Archer's disposition immediately changes. He becomes sympathetic because he knows her mom. He remembers her mom. You could probably say he's still in love with her mom, but he's not her dad. The relationship didn't go that far, and so while he would have loved to have been her dad, he's not. And he just seems so understanding and so caring to this girl who comes out of nowhere and wants for him so badly to be her father. But he's not, and... I'm sorry. No. No, I'm sorry. This is very inappropriate and embarrassing. I mean, God, you're an important man, and this is a men's room. Wait. She decides after Archer not being her father that no one is her father, and she's just going to go home because this trip that was supposed to take five days has turned into a complete bust after two, despite the fact that, you know, she's had a few leads. So McGuire and another new friend, Joss, who we had previously met in the scene where Sarah's standing in front of the apartment building, but it was very, very briefly, decide to take Sarah out on the town. They all go out drinking, and then they get arrested for not paying the fare to go on the subway. And they're brought before a judge who, I don't know, to me seems, seems kind of racist, um, because he says this. Excuse me. You just don't expect to see a sweet young sorority girl from the suburbs in my arraignment court. Let me guess, Mr. Manning. She doesn't have a record, not even a traffic ticket. And her worst crime is she once stole someone else's boyfriend. Um, but they kind of brushed that under the rug because here comes Archer. McGuire was able to get in touch with him somehow. McGuire, I don't know where this magic phone scale was when Sarah was trying to get in touch with him earlier. But anyways... Archer brings a lawyer, the trio don't get charged, and they're sent along their merry way. Based off of what that judge said about Sarah being the one least likely to be in front of him, she takes it as she just seems to, I don't know, like, she's safe. She feels that she looks like she doesn't take risks. So what does she decide on the subway ride home on the train? She decides that she's going to take a risk. This is a problem. Because I don't want to be the Marsha Brady of the new millennium. On the train, she decides that she's going to take a risk. She's not going to go home. She's going to be like her mother. And she's going to stay in New York and figure herself out. But of course she has to figure out how she's going to stay in New York. So we have this really quick wrap-up at the end where Sarah... Coincidentally, hears from Joss that one of the bartenders or, or waitresses... Uh, at the place where she works across the street from the record store and the apartment building uh, has quit. So Sarah says, well, I'll do that. I will take that job. She gets hired immediately. No interview, really. No resume, just hired. Uh, and then she gets initiated by having to sing R.E.M.'s It's the End of the World as We Know It. From this pilot, you would expect that the show would have a lot of ups and downs, Sarah going through life, learning about who she is, learning about consequences, all those things you learn about as a young adult. But you would be wrong. You might also think that the show would focus on her trying to find her father, maybe again talking to Archer now that he's on good terms with her, and finding out more about her mom and maybe her mom's friends and reaching up to them. You would also be wrong. 
while the show does try to show you the ups and downs of Sarah's life, uh, and also how she just has people to take care of her, there's no consequences, there's nothing that really can, you know, diminish her ability to move from one thing to another. Almost every other episode, she has a new job alongside of her waitressing job at the bar as she tries to figure out what she wants to do with her life. Okay. But she goes through these jobs so quickly that you're, you think you're in a sitcom. Like, it seems like every episode is, what is Sarah going to do this week? She goes from being an assistant uh, to this rich lady uh, and babysitting her dogs to being a singer for a couple episodes until the record label gets shut down. She then works as Christmas help at a department store. Uh, she um, ends up working a temp job for a couple episodes. She's a au pair or a nanny for a few episodes before she finally decides that she's going to start her own temp agency based off the temping experience she had. And she doesn't actually learn anything from this because it always just seems that someone is there. She doesn't learn that, okay, well, if your temp agency fails and someone's trying to sue you, here's the issues you have to go through. No, no, no. Someone's just going to pay money so you can just restart the business and everything will be okay. That is, I kid you not, that's exactly what happens. It's just so baffling that the show about someone trying to figure out who they are and figure out their life doesn't really have them figuring out anything. Speaking of characters that don't have room to grow, that's the rest of the cast. Everybody is kind of pigeonholed into a role or we have Cecilia who shows up and all she does is ask for rent and that's literally what she does through half of the episodes. Then we have another character, JB, who is a little bit developed but the show moves so quickly that we don't really get much of his story. Like for example, he's a character who doesn't want to live in New York. He wants to get out of there, he wants to live somewhere else and we get hints of this throughout the show through his side storylines but we don't really get it fully explored when it should be. They should have this development front and center and maybe not focus so much on Sarah and all of her many, many, many jobs. But he gets pushed aside in favor of that. Whereas characters like McGuire and Romy are reserved to being one or two things. Romy is angry at everyone or herself or the city for not giving her a job. Whereas McGuire just follows Sarah around like a puppy dog and helps her out whenever she needs something. And Joss, well, she's just there. And that's all she does for the most part. A few, again, a few things here and there that really focus on her, but not enough. She's just Sarah's friend at work who happens to work in the same place. That's it. These characters don't get the development they need or the development they should have until the very end of the show or towards the end because the show moves at such a pace that no one has chance to really stretch their wings and show who they are. The other thing that the show kind of had working against it is that a lot of what they had seemed more comedic than dramatic. And there's two key examples of when this is more apparent than other times, which again is so weird compared to its parent show. Like Party of Five was very dramatic. It won a Golden Globe for Best Drama. I don't think this would have won a Golden Globe for Best Drama or even best comedy. It was just so different. But again, those sitcom-esque elements are there in episode two or three. I can't remember exactly. But 
Sarah is the assistant for the lady in this episode, uh, the rich lady, and she has brought the dogs she's babysitting to work while she's wearing this like Jackie Kennedy-esque suit. And she says that she's in such a rush and her uh, boss is away for the evening that she has to bring the dogs to work. I, I don't know where she thinks those dogs would go um, while she's, you know, giving people their drinks, but um, okay. One of the dogs has to pee, so she takes it outside along with the other dogs, still while wearing this suit. Maguire, who is in love with her at this point, comes outside with her to help. The dogs are running around them, and there's giggling, and there's laughing, and they kiss. Now, a romantic song is playing over this, but let's play it a bit differently. This is then followed by two what I call very special episodes. You know, the kind of things you'd see on sitcoms that are overly dramatic or has a character go through some type of life lesson uh, that, you know, they learn about in one episode and then move on. Time of Your Life kind of has two of these. The first is an episode during Thanksgiving where Sarah decides to befriend a homeless man, um, thinking that she can fix him. And she has to learn that sometimes people are living the lives they want to live. Um, and she can't always have people conform to the way she wants. The second episode is actually a two-parter. Um, it's actually something that is important to the whole storyline um, in that Romy's friend comes to New York and she ends up being murdered by um, some random person in an alley. Now, while I say these episodes were sitcom-esque, they actually set into motion a more dramatic time of your life in the episodes that follow. So those two episodes deal with the murder itself and the aftermath and how people are dealing with it and the feelings they're going through. But then people start to realize things about their lives. You know, life is short. We have to do things now. Um, if I want to leave the city, I'm going to do that. If I'm going to start my own business, I'm going to do that. So they go through a, lot, a little bit of development, which we were missing for most of the season. And it's actually some of the better episodes. Like I was really, I always look forward to watching these ones. I, I've seen the show through a few times now for preparation for this video. And I've watched it at least four times through. And I always look forward to these ones. Like these ones are good. They're not great, but they're good. You know, they're, you know, I can watch them without having to fast forward um, through most of it. And it also shows something that we were missing that we should have had in the beginning. And that is Sarah's father. You know, the, the reason she came to New York was to find her father that we completely abandoned in favor of Sarah has a job. The last two episodes of the show have Sarah meet her dad. And it is some of the best acting that Jennifer Love Hewitt does on the show. And kudos to her. Like she put her heart and soul into those scenes and you can tell. Her father tells her that her mother didn't really want her, and that he did. Uh, she, again, she has this ideal version of her mother in her mind and kind of comes to believe her father's the one who abandoned them. But he tells her that, no, your mother left. She went home. She was going to give you up, and she was chasing just some other guy. I lost my daughter for 20 years. And... While she realizes that he may not be the man 
who she wants him to be, he's still her dad and she wants to have a relationship with him. And she ends the show leaving him a necktie. And I think that was kind of her olive branch to be like, I accept you the way you are, but I hope you will also accept me the way I am in a way. Like, I still want to give you a gift. You're still my dad. So I'm still going to buy you a cheesy tie on Father's Day. And I actually really like the way this season ended with that, that there's hope that her and her father will kind of come to a relationship. But with her father as well, it, it kind of shows as well that there's this, you know, he's he's someone who's struggling with it as well. He's not going to immediately jump into her life and everything's going to be fine. He is struggling with the fact that he has a 20-year-old daughter that he didn't know he had. And now she's here and she wants to be friends and she wants to hang out and she wants all of this stuff. And he struggles with it. And we see that. And it's really good drama. Um, that the show, again, was lacking. Now, that's not enough to save the show. As good as these episodes were, because we didn't see them. Which leads us to kind of the final stages of what went wrong with this show. Um, and that is its scheduling. So, Jennifer Love Hewitt championed this show like no one's business. She was doing magazine interviews. She was doing newspaper interviews. She was on talk shows. I think I watched at least five interviews where she was there to promote the show. Uh, she did a satellite tour Q&A. She was also a producer. This was her first time producing a show, something that she would do later on for Ghost Whisperer. Um, but she was all in for this. Like She was very, very excited. She also said that when they pulled her aside... Um, towards the end of season five of Party of Five, she thought she was being fired. And then they told her, no, no, you're not being fired. You're getting your own show. And of course, as I mentioned, she was happy. She was looking forward to it. Um, imagine being, you know, 20, 21 years old and saying, you know what? We like you so much on this show. You're getting your own show. The scheduling was poor. The scheduling was awful. So when it came to the way it was positioned in the schedule for the fall of 1999, it was not paired up with Party of Five. And you think it would be, um, but it wasn't. It was actually on Monday nights and it was paired with Ally McBeal. And I never watched Ally McBeal, but I don't know if really, if from what I know of the show, if the audience that watched Ally McBeal would also be interested in Time of Your Life. Usually they pair shows that kind of have the same type of, type of people watching them or, you know, have similar audiences or, or something. But I just don't see why these shows were, were work. It didn't work. That's, that's, that's the short version. It, it didn't work. The show was also up against a lot of big shows for the time, either shows that were starting out and were extremely popular or shows that were, you know, hitting later seasons and were still juggernauts in terms of ratings. Suddenly Susan, Veronica's Closet, Freaks and Geeks, Seventh Heaven, Moesha, and the Parkers. So its placement hurt the show. It just didn't, just didn't work. There was too much to choose from. There was too many things happening. You know, if you're, if you're starting a new show, the best thing is to put it on a night where there's not a lot of competition and to see, you know, to drum up an audience, right? And then you can change it to another night and hope your audience follows you. Or, or a more logical thing, 
would be to pair it with the parent show that it came from, pair it with Party of Five. But alas, they didn't. After about seven episodes, Time of Your Life was taken off the schedule. This would have been early January 2000. But it was brought back in early June under the tagline Summer of Love to play on Jennifer Love Hewitt's name. That didn't work either. It aired two episodes before it was pulled from the schedule completely. Now, the show did air overseas in its entirety during the, you know, 1999 to 2000 season under the name Sarah, which kind of makes me think that they were trying to, you know, attract that Felicity audience by putting a name as the name of the show versus something else. But as for the North American audiences, it didn't get aired in its entirety until almost or over 20 years later. TV in the U.S. added it in 2021, as well as CTV in Canada added it to their website in their throwback section, which has a lot of old shows and movies. So now if you are interested, it is out there for people to see. So I want to end this video by talking about something that maybe could have improved this. It could have made this show actually worthwhile and while and maybe get a second or even third season and that is the original pilot but fox executives didn't like the pacing of it they said it was too slow which is probably why everything that came after it seemed like it was running at light speed and in the original pilot as well there are a lot of characters that get changed or cut which is something that is very natural in filmmaking but i want to highlight a few things here that i feel like could have worked uh, within the actual pilot that got aired. The first thing that comes up is that, of course, this pilot is at a much slower pace, which seems to work for it. It's to flow together more nicely, and characters seem to connect a bit better. The first character who stands out is Cecilia, who seems more helpful and more of like a sisterly-like figure to Sarah than she is in the show as a whole. So other characters that have differences are is Romy. She is actually Daisy in the original pilot. She's still an actress, but she's more lighter. She's kind of a fluffy character. Uh, she thinks that she's psychic and keeps predicting things like snow in the middle of September um, and doesn't actually live in Sarah's mom's apartment. She lives in the building, just in a different different unit. There's also McGuire. He's still there, but he's played by a different actor. And he's a, kind of more of a brotherly type figure to Sarah as opposed to a love interest. Joss isn't there at all. There's a set of landladies named the Haversaws who own the building that Sarah's mom lived in. They kind of become kind of grandmother-like figures to her. The character of JB is there, but he's more of a love interest. And he's also someone who steals Sarah's wallet. Uh, his character's name in this version of the pilot is Dodge, and he just kind of keeps showing up as things that Sarah's at, and he, uh, he's just there. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of really interesting. It's kind of like the serendipitous type of thing. Um, other than that, you know, most of the, the pilot is the same. Um, and I know this because there's a bit of a promo, uh, that I'm showing clips from here, as well as I have my hands on the script. And I also happen to see the filmed original pilot, which has since been removed from YouTube. But the events itself play out pretty much the same. Sarah arrives in New York in the daytime versus the nighttime in this version. 
And she kind of goes about trying to find out about her mom. She talks to Billy. She talks to Archer. But you feel like there's more at stake here. Like when she gets her wallet stolen, she realizes that she doesn't have any money and she doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know anyone. She doesn't want to contact Bailey. It doesn't feel like she's being, you know, pushed forward by other people. She has to learn these things on her own. And again, having her wallet stolen is very, very small, but it shows the stakes that she has. She doesn't know how to navigate this new environment and she has to figure that out. Also, as was mentioned, it seems that Dodge or JB uh, was supposed to be a love interest and he seems more at home here in that type of role um, than he does as Romy's love interest in the pilot and the rest of the show that aired. And I also feel that the show could have been approached a bit differently. And that is that they probably should have kept Sarah on season six of Party of Five and let that relationship with Bailey play out. Maybe have a backdoor pilot where she goes to New York for an episode and we follow her, see if we like it, see if we want to follow a show that follows her, have her come back, then have her realize maybe, you know, I want to go back. I want to go and figure out my life and my mom and my family in a different city. But it kind of feels like she abruptly was just yanked out of Party of Five and doesn't feel like that part of her life really had an end. It just it just feels like there's a hole or something is missing. But if they had let that play out and then given her her spinoff, I think we would have been able to build to it and maybe look forward to it a bit more as opposed to just having it air and her not really finishing the storyline that she had. The last positive thing I will say is at least the Bodines came back to do the theme song. So there was at least some continuity between the two shows that was good, if nothing else. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.